Welcome to Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives, a podcast dedicated to the testimonies of believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Arlenis Bucklew. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives. I am your host, Arlenis. Thank you for listening or for watching if you're watching from YouTube. If you are new to our podcast, thank you so, so much for tuning in. Uh, and please make sure that you stay in touch with us. And the way they can do that is by following us on social media. And the easiest way to do that is by going on the links here on the description. As I do on every episode, I have a guest for you guys. He is an elder at our church. He is um, also serving in Foundation Bible Study, and it's been a privilege to serve with him and his wife, Anne. So please help me welcome our dear brother, Chris Hamilton. Thank you, Chris, for joining me. It's an honor. Thank you. <laughs> Finally, we got to do this, right? Because we had schedule and then... A couple you know. of starts and stops. Yeah. <laughs> right. And our fault. So yeah. thank you for your patience. <laughs> no, no. It's been, you know, I... Like I said, I, I was telling you that I've heard you so many times in Christy Rose podcast. I'm like, you're like a popular guy there. <laughs> so it's it's wonderful to be able to get you here now. But today is going to be to listen to your testimony. Normally you do topics with Christy, right? Yeah, but that's Christy. This is your your <laughs> podcast. So I'm no, I love Christy. I love Christy. And I've mentioned her podcast um, on some other episodes too. It's a wonderful, especially for our single ladies out there. It is. Yeah, it's yeah. an amazing podcast. Yeah. I've really enjoyed listening to yours. I think I've yeah. made it through the entire library. And <laughs> Are you sure? There are like 150 there's a 150-something episodes there. <laughs> yeah, it, it's um, yeah. pretty fantastic to yeah. hear the stories of people. Uh, yeah, especially people that we go to church with. I think I've uh, something that I love about doing this, it's the opportunity that I get to meet the people that I go to church with and not only just like, you know, have simple conversations, but really truly get to know, you know, their journey with the Lord and how they came to know the Lord. And then afterwards, we, if they come over, then we enjoy a meal. Yeah, yeah so, that's great. Yeah. So. And some of these people are people I know, and mm -hmm. I didn't know uh, everything that came out in that podcast. So it is yeah. pretty neat yeah. to hear their stories. Well, thank you again for joining me. It's truly an honor and a privilege to have you here. And his wife is actually here, but she is sitting, <laughs> she's sitting off close camera. to us. Oh, yeah. camera, <laughs> close to us, close enough to make sure that Chris doesn't make any mistakes, right? <laughs> we'll get her on camera eventually. Uh, uh, no, she's saying no. <laughs> you can't see her, but she said no. <laughs> well, Chris, um, normally I like to start by having my guests just sharing a little bit about the, well, not a little bit. I like all the juicy details <laughs> from their background, their upbringing, you know, uh, what you're raised in a believing home, are you the only child, and so on, so things like that, so if you wouldn't mind, and you can take it from there. Well, I was born a really long time ago. <laughs> I, I'm uh, pretty old, but I was raised in a home with uh, my twin sister and two other sisters. Um, I also have two brothers, um, both mm -hmm. from my parents' uh, previous marriage, and my one, the oldest brother... Um, was out of the home um, before I even remember. Mm -hmm. um, and my other brother was in the home till I was in about third grade, third or fourth grade. And I remember that because he handed off his paper route to me. Um, so, the, the uh, yeah, see, you're young. Paper route, back in the days, uh, little kids used to go around and deliver newspapers oh, to homes yeah. and then go around and collect money for them. Mm -hmm. Um, so starting in about third, fourth grade, um, it was a home with mom and dad and my three sisters. Okay. Um, and we attended a church in Glendale. It was a community church. And 
um, one Sunday, um, the story has it, the, the Hamilton folklore is that um, my mom went to this new church in uh, Panorama City, or Sun Valley, depends on what it where it was, uh, what it was called back then, mm-hmm. to hear this new young pastor named uh, John MacArthur that was apparently all the rage back then. And we're talking about 1970. Mm-hmm. And um, the next Sunday, we started attending Grace Church and pretty much um, have been there since. Mm-hmm. So John had been there about six months or so, and I was in first grade. And so... Um, that's the environment that we grew up in. We attended a um, fundamental fundamental Baptist um, elementary school out in Canoga Park, California. And in third grade, I was in vacation Bible school, and there was a uh, a preacher that they brought in. And I always say he brought the hellfire and brimstone. He preached out of Revelation. I remember it. Wow. I don't remember the sermon. I remember being very, very, very afraid. Mm. Um, And it fed into, um, I never remember ever questioning that God was God and I was not. And Mm. I was in need of a Savior. Um, I um, never questioned that the Bible was the authoritative Word of God. If the Bible said it, I needed to do it. And um, so none of that was a challenge for me. So when I heard this uh, sermon, I was very afraid, and I remember meeting with um, my teacher in Vacation Bible School, and I told her I was very scared, and she walked me through the gospel, and and uh, um, I prayed with her. And I think that is the day that I confessed with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, and I believed mm-hmm. in my heart that he rose from the dead. And the Bible says in Romans ten nine that I'm saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was it, because mm. um, I've never uh, questioned the truth of the gospel that mm. I ever remember. About 10 years mm. later is when the rest of the story started to sink in, and you know that's kind of embarrassing to say, mm. a young kid sitting under the preaching of John MacArthur for all those years, and it took that long for the rest of the story to penetrate. And Mm. that penetration continues to this day, the marvelous story of how I'm not saved because I prayed a prayer Mm -hmm. necessarily. I'm saved because I could not have ever prayed that prayer, but for the work of the Holy Spirit. And the whole doctrine around um, God choosing us Mm -hmm. and... So that is what's um, been uh, unfolding truth for me uh, since uh, over all these years. So I've always um, been a part of Grace Church, as far as I can recall. There's a couple years when Ann and I were involved in another church um, out near where we lived, and we didn't leave Grace Church mad. It was more, it was just a family decision that. We wanted our kids to be involved in church. We wanted to raise them in the church, and we couldn't afford to live near Grace Church, and so we lived kind of far out and picked a church, uh, picked a place to live right next to it, and that's where we raised our kids. But I never missed a a sermon. Mm -hmm. I always, uh, you know, back then, John was on, as he is today, on the radio, Mm -hmm. and he's always been the shepherd's voice in my life. Mm -hmm. I remember as as a young man sitting under John's teaching, um, well, there's so much I remember, but he implanted in me a love for the church. I remember the series he did in the book of Acts. Mm. I, I think I was in junior high. 
high school, that era, and he preached through Acts, and I remember just being completely taken with the the church and what the church is, and that it's Christ's church, that it's supernatural, that that whatever happens, the church will always stand. Yeah. Um, and it is the one institution that survives everything. And just the story of how the church was born and how it grew and how it spread. And um, so that's one thing I remember from being a young man, very formative in my thinking. The second thing that was formative for me was that I learned by sitting under John's preaching, I, I figured out what he was doing. He was telling us what the nouns were, what the verbs were, what the adjectives and the adverbs were, and how when you understand that, the outline begins to fall out. Yeah. And I think John implanted in me, and obviously thousands of other people, that the Bible is understandable, mm -hmm. that it says what it says, every word is important, that it's not mystical. Yeah. Um, it might be hard work to draw out the truths of Scripture at times, but it is doable mm -hmm. and it is attainable. You know, being a dumb kid sometimes, I, I would see what passage he was going to preach, and I would do the outline ahead of time to see if I got it right. Mm. And and um, and that's not um, at all a statement of me being a smart kid, or even probably a smart aleck, but, but it's more, it's a, it's a product of John's preaching, yeah. that if you sit under his preaching for any length of time, you're participating in that, that preaching process because you're there with him and you understand what he's doing and he's drawing truth out of every word, every phrase, every verse, mm -hmm. every paragraph yeah. um, going through scripture. So those two things were very formative in my walk with Christ and of course um, the mentorship that was available at Grace Church, godly mm -hmm. men, you know, to follow as they follow Christ and just watching John all these years be a faithful minister. So yeah. um, never really struggled with my salvation, mm -hmm. um, it, and always was it's such a privilege to say I always got to see it modeled um, by my pastor and by so many people around me at Grace Church. Yeah, I like uh, what you said that you know the Bible is understandable. Like you can understand the Bible. You and as a Catholic, raised as a Catholic, I was told that I was supposed to read it. You can't read it because it will, it will make you go crazy, and that's not true. Those are the lies that they're telling you so that you don't go and find the truth of and, and find also the lies that they're teaching you in mm -hmm. their church. So um, how amazing, you know, that the Lord also like taught you that. Yes, it is understandable, but you have to put effort into it also. And I've heard also many people saying that going through, uh, you know, Pastor John's teaching, sitting under his teaching at Grace, it's like you're going through seminary. <laughs> like It just feels like that, you know, it's just and it's so easy also to to learn from him because he's explaining you, you know, what he's teaching you, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that's, that's amazing too. So what about uh, in your home? Um, did your parents, would they teach you the Bible? Would they uh, raise you in the word of God? How was that at home? They definitely uh, made it a priority that we were raised in the word of God. We were in a, a Baptist private school. Mm -hmm. um, we were at Grace Community Church. And, um, you know, I look back now, um, they were very committed to um, my sisters and I being involved in church. Mm. Um, you know, back in junior high at Grace Community Church, there were what they called core groups. And I think there was one core group, and there was five of us, and two of mm. those five were 
my sister and I, and then three other people. And that meant spending Sunday afternoons and they would give a, they would assign us, um, books of the Bible. And we were required to have quiet times every day and study and record what we're reading, what it says, what it means and the application of my life. I still remember I have probably somewhere notebooks with all that in, in there. And my parents were committed to that, to us being a part of that. We were a part of Wednesday night church. And I've told the story that I used to take the bus um, to elder meetings because mm-hmm. I wanted to see the elders at Grace Church. And mm-hmm. I remember occasionally getting on the bus and right. And I, today I can't imagine parents letting their kids do that in LA. Yeah, um, yeah. It was a long bus ride, <laughs> but um, that's, and my parents were supportive of that. Uh, my father was the um, son of a Baptist preacher. Um, he was born and raised in Bumblebee, Arkansas, which I don't even know if anybody knows where that is. It's um, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> His father was an itinerant preacher. He was, his primary role on this earth was to be a farmer. He was mm-hmm. a farmer, and he had four churches. Four so, churches. So the first Sunday of each month, he'd go north and preach in that church and then come home and farm, and then the next Sunday he'd go to the church to the east if, and um. then the south and then the west and then back <laughs> to the north. Um, that's how my dad explained it to me. Wow. And so my dad was exposed to... Um, all of that being the son of a, a preacher, a lay preacher, really. Yeah. And um, so that was my dad's background. My mom's background was Catholic. And mm-hmm. I don't remember this, but the family folklore is that when John preached how to study the Bible, um, it really uh, upset my mom. Like it did a lot of people because mm-hmm. so many people come out of that Catholic background and they say exactly what you're saying. Why is he telling us to do his job for him? Mm-hmm. And John's uh, mission in ministry is this isn't my job mm-hmm. to the exclusion of all of you. All of you should be in the Word and studying the Word. And and, and that's what made Grace Church so unique yeah. um, and still does, I suppose, but certainly was a challenge for my mom coming out of a Catholic background that um, we're at a church where that's the mission and the goal is um, that we all learn how to study the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's not just the pastor's job. Yeah. Exactly. We have to do it for our, in our in our own time. It's like, how do you, how are you going to get to know God if you're not in his word? Yeah. That's the only way, but that's not what you are told in the Catholic church. You have to go and hear it from the preacher, from the priest, because he is the one, you know, that has that authority from God to do that. Right. So you don't have any authority to read it, which was interesting because my grandmother used to read it. Hmm. So I praise the Lord that she did. Yes. <laughs> because that's like very rare to see that in, 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 you know, Catholic families. And the Bible is just collecting dust at home, basically. Well, the Word of God is powerful. Yeah. And I suppose in a, um, in a religion, it's difficult to set that loose in your church. Yeah. Because things start to happen that you don't have control over. Mm-hmm. And that was never a concern at Grace Church. In fact, it was the goal is to unleash... God's word yeah. in the hands of spirit-filled people who aren't dependent on pastors. Pastors play a really important role. I have already quoted Romans 10. It goes on to talk about in Romans 10, how will they know yeah. um, if um, someone doesn't go and preach the word? There is something about hearing the preaching of the word, but there's also, it's pretty powerful to um, study the word. And when you unleash that in the hearts and 
minds of people in the church, amazing things happen, and mm-hmm. I've been privileged to be around Grace Church for 54 years and watch mm-hmm. it happen, huh. or 53 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the story of Grace Church and so many other churches that take the same um, approach to the Word of God. Uh, it is powerful. Yeah, it is. So I want to go back to um, how old were you when um, you listen to the book of revelation and then someone shares the gospel with you in that was third grade so i think that makes me nine i don't know eight or nine somewhere in there pretty young that's pretty young yeah okay so for someone who is saved at such a young age right well clearly you had an understanding of like okay just because i'm going to church and my family you know probably are Christians or in this, that doesn't make me a believer. So you have that understanding that you're not saved just because, or you inherit it or because you're going to church. Right. How would you describe yourself then before and after Christ? Like, what is the difference? Well, I think before Christ, I don't really have a lot of memory of. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so I, I have to say, I've never ever known a time that I can remember where I wasn't completely confident in knowing that God is God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to the degree I understood God, um, I never questioned his attributes, his goodness. Um, you know, and, and I've said often that I loved my my earthly father so much. And one of the reasons was because he made it so easy for me to understand, um, what my heavenly father looked like, acted like, um, Mm. what his love was like. Um, I just always admired my father and, um, he made it easy for me to make a small step, if you will, to understand that what I'm seeing right in front of me is a picture of, um, my heavenly father. And I'm not saying my father was perfect. He wasn't, I'm not saying he was like God. He wasn't, (laughs) but I could follow him as he followed, um, Christ. And that dynamic, um, I'm very, really privileged to say was evident um, in my relationship with my father, particularly in high school and college and mm-hmm. until he passed away when I was in my early 30s. The, the challenge, if there's been a challenge it, it ha- of faith, if you will, it has been to understand why God would save me. Mm-hmm. I understand that I needed to confess my sins. I ne- understand that I needed to believe that Jesus was born, lived a perfect life, paid the price for my sin, he died, he rose on the third day, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. None of that's been a challenge, an issue of faith for me. But as I get older, as I've I've gotten older, for me to understand that God chose me, Mm -hmm. that he saved me, and and I know me. And um, if I was God, I wouldn't save Chris Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And that has been a challenge for me. That's Mm -hmm. the... The challenge of faith is really understanding why did God choose me, that he did choose me, that in spite of my weaknesses and my sin and all of that, and and the holiness of God, why he would pick you and me, just to include you in that thought process, is really remarkable. Yeah. Because he he shouldn't have. Yeah. You know, in that sense, there is no justice, because... um, I, I am not going to receive the just the justice that I deserve yeah. um, for who I am. That's remarkable to me. And mm-hmm. there's times where that's really hard to swallow, really hard mm-hmm. to take. But outside of that, uh, it's just, um, um, I guess the, I made this a long answer. The short answer to your question is I don't remember a time where I ever 
yeah. um, uh, felt like life wasn't for the purpose of glorifying Christ and that my, that I needed to pursue sanctification um, out of a heart of a saved person to glorify God and to obey him. Yeah. And so how do you, what's happening in your life then once you're getting into high school, college years, like how do you, how are you living out your, your, your own faith? Are you getting involved in the church? Like, yeah, because if you, if, if you, if, if the Lord saves you, then there is a love for, a deeper love for his people, for his church, and you want to serve him, right? So mm -hmm. what happens in your life then in that? Well, in high school, I started to play football. And, mm -hmm. you know, in some sense, football became um, an idol. I played at a um, high school in the Valley um, with a very famous guy. Uh, he went on to be a very famous football player, John Elway. Um, a lot of guys on that team went on to um, college and professional sports, and that kind of consumed me. So I was, because John Elway was on the team, and probably most of the people listening to this podcast won't remember who John Elway is, <laughs> but because he was, had, he was so well-known, we all got... Um, looked at by scouts that we otherwise wouldn't have been. So I received several letters of interest from Division I football programs, and, and I was heading that direction um, to play college football. And, of course, I was dumb enough to believe that I was going to play professional someday. <laughs> um, none of that um, developed because um, by God's providence, I became very, very ill. Um, mm -hmm. I got something called encephalitis, which is a, an infection in the brain. And in the weeks that I was sick, I lost 45 pounds or so. And when I came back, I was a year behind John Elway, if I'm remembering correctly. And so they were going to have me transition to quarterback. They wanted me to, I was a wide receiver. They wanted me to um, stay as a wide receiver, but start developing as a quarterback. So I came back for spring ball, I think it was, and over the summer, and the coaches just looked at me and said, turn in your pads. Um, there's no way you're playing football for mm. us. Um, I was a stick. I was, my, my entire physique had changed, and it, had, it has never gone back to where it was. Um, so that was very difficult for me. Mm. I was really disappointed. That changed the course of my life from my perspective. Of course, I look back at the providence of God, and I'm so grateful, so mm -hmm. grateful, because I understand now I probably wouldn't have played much at Division One, and I wasn't good enough to play professional. So mm -hmm. I saved myself a lot of time and years of chasing um, uh, a phantom, if you will. Mm -hmm. But throughout that entire thing, I was involved at Grace Church, always. I don't think I studied a day in high school. Back then, you didn't have to. You did very well academic in L.A. Unified um, as long as you showed up. And um, I don't remember ever being serious about school. I was serious about football, and I was serious about the Lord. Mm. And there was a pastor at Grace Church named Tim Jack. Um, I'll never forget him coming to pick me up every Thursday morning. I think it was Thursday mornings, and we would go to McDonald's on... Devonshire and Balboa, and he went through the book of 1 Corinthians with me. And I don't really remember much at this point, that was a really long time ago, of what he taught me out of 1 Corinthians, but it has struck me that Tim Jack came and picked up this punk kid um, 
and devoted. I, I'm, and I understand now. I, I'm a I'm a dad, and um, I know what that took for him to do that. And I marvel at that. Mm. That he poured into me on, on that level, and so that was pretty profound. I know. Mm. You know, I know back then I I understood what he was teaching me, but First Corinthians has always been special to me because of that memory. Um, so I graduated from high school um, and went to uh, Cal State Northridge to pursue an accounting degree. I was working in my father's accounting firm. My dad, he was my dad and my employer. He was my mentor. College was a shock to me uh, because they actually required work. Um, I don't know if that's still true today, but. Um, I ran into a buzzsaw and I had, uh, I remember I took physics. I'll never forget physics. Um, just a bunch of general education classes. And I think I got two B's and two C's in a, in a, a shot of reality that, um, I wasn't all that. And if I was going to do well in a career, I needed to get serious about school. At the same time, I couldn't give up the football dream. So there was a, a Christian school in the area that I began coaching football. And so I was coaching football, and I also at church immediately went on to junior high staff, volunteer staff. And the pastor at the time was a guy by the name of Chris Mueller. Mm-hmm. I have absolutely no idea what he saw in me, but he saw something. And what began at the age of 17 was about four or five years of very intensive discipleship, where he taught me to teach. He taught me to study the Bible, not just listening to a sermon, but preparing to teach. And when I started that process, I was fascinated with the top of my toes. You put me in front of a group of people, and I look at my feet, and I I had no interest in getting in front of anybody. And Chris Mueller just, I don't again, I don't know what he saw, but he basically said, get over it. And here's a group of junior hires, and I still have my notes of, he asked me to teach a group of 7th and 8th grade boys through the book of Romans in five weeks. Wow. And it changed my life. I mean, I tell young guys coming out of seminary, taking a church all the time, preach through the book of Romans. It'll change your life. And Mm -hmm. it's not the preaching, it's the studying, it's Mm -hmm. the fifth gospel. It is so foundational. And that rocked my world, and it put the flavor in my mouth of maybe going in, into ministry. Mm. But I was pursuing an accounting degree. I was doing, I was teaching junior high every Sunday, a group of boys, um, some of whom are good friends to this day. That's a whole other story that I could tell. And I was coaching football, and I was dating a young lady. And uh, so that kind of described um, my life in college. My priority in college was not sleep. It was really developing my career, developing ministry skill, um, and that was imposed on me by a man who was aggressively discipling me. And um, and I, I was pursuing a relationship um, also during college, and, and all of that came down to um, uh, there was a year, there was a semester when. It was the fall semester that I got very sick with, I forget what I had. It was just no sleep and too much work, and it, it all came crashing down. And I didn't do real well on finals, and mm-hmm. that was kind of another wake-up call um, that I had probably made grades an idol. Mm-hmm. Um, the college I went to was extremely competitive, 
So you walked into a class and after a while you knew who the 35, 40 people were in the class. And if you knew that at the time at Cal State Northridge, they only gave 10% of the class A's. And so it was so competitive that if you walked in and you saw enough people that you knew were going to get the A's, you literally changed the class and, and found another um, another class to take. And so I was consumed with that. So that kind of knocked me off of that. And so anyway, I got to the end of college. I had my degree. Um, Chris Mueller had poured into me uh, just in a way that there's just no way to ever express the gratitude to him. And now I was teaching on a regular basis and I was teaching the whole junior high group and um, on Wednesday nights. And um, I was a partner of his in ministry. And he began to talk to me about whether I was called to full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. And other elders in the church began to ask me that, whether I was considering that. And I'll never forget the Sunday night driving back to evening service with my father, where um, I remember he pulled over to the side of the road. I remember exactly where it was. And he said, have you considered ministry full-time? I really think you need to consider it. And this was my employer, my mentor, my father. um, And that really put me in a um, a bit of a crisis uh, because for my own father to say that, who knows me better than anybody, for Chris Mueller to um, say it, and for the other people that were influential in my life, it seemed like everything was pointing me towards seminary and full-time ministry. Ultimately, I um, met with my pastor, Pastor John, Mm. and he and I had a great conversation, and based on his questions and and some of his observations, I made the decision to put that aside, not ministry. I was committed. I understood fully from that point that I was committed to the church, but just not full-time. Mm. Um, and you know, ultimately I was going to pursue a secular career until, and, uh, the Lord shut all those doors and made it clear that I was supposed to be in seminary. Mm. And to this day, I'm in secular work and involved in the church when I can. Mm. Um, but that was very formative and, and extremely helpful. Um, I've always been so grateful to pastor John for Mm. his wisdom and, that he cared about this punk 20-year-old kid, whatever I was at the time, mm-hmm. um, to spend some time with me and work through that issue with me. Yeah. And it set the course of the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And so coming out of um, all of that, out of college, Chris Mueller went on to be the college pastor, so I eventually went to college ministry with him. Um, we did missions trips together. There, were, there was one trip... Uh, I believe it was 1987, where we went all over. Uh, we were in Taiwan, Hong Kong, number of countries. And I was working for a manufacturing company that sent me over there to um, look at production contracts, moving production offshore from the United States to production facilities over there. So I'm meeting with, I have business meetings all day. And then at night, I'm joining Chris and preaching in mm. churches in the Philippines and and that trip was so formative also uh, for a number of reasons. Um, and I could um, go on about that forever. But there were some incidents that happened on that trip that were so profound, uh, that made it so clear that the Lord had called me to secular ministry. 
that I could I would have an audience with people to share the gospel that someone like Chris Mueller, John MacArthur, or anybody else in full-time ministry would never um, have the opportunity because they're pastors. I remember, this is back before 9-11, well before 9-11, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Mueller used to love to go up to the cockpit and ask the pilots if he could stand in the um, cockpit with them, and they used to say yes. It was rem- It was amazing. And I'll never forget the time the pilots are talking to us, and they want to know what we do, and I answer, and then... Chris says, yeah, I'm a pastor at Grace Community Church. And it was like uh, ice age instantly. And all of a sudden, the pilots are saying, yeah, you guys need to uh, uh, go back to your seats. We're going to hit some turbulence here in a minute. Um, And Chris and I had a good laugh about that. But it was uh, just yet something else on that trip where I realized there is a place for lay guys, um, an important place in in the work of the ministry to be um, good, competent workers who also know the gospel and can share the gospel and be involved in the church. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that was really funny, though. But Chris Miller, he is the author of uh, Let the Men Be Men and Let the Woman Be Woman, right? Yes, correct. He preached those sermons. Yeah, those were sermons. Yeah, yeah. when uh, Ann and I were in the college department okay. yeah. 35, 40 years ago. And now they're book form. Oh yeah, gold, just gold. Yeah, yeah. I've I've started uh, the one because uh, Doctor Scott, who's married to your lovely twin sister, yes. who I love, Cammy Scott. <laughs> yeah. So uh, to our community group, he gave every all the ladies one of those, and then for the men also. I think he gave us one, right? Yeah, I think so. Like, yeah, the book. Yeah. So that's why I thought about him. Like, I I was familiar. I never met him before but that's how i came to know when you him. meet him you'll want him on your podcast <laughs> there you go now i have a connection you can connect me I'll to connect him <laughs> <you>. <laughs> yeah so chris at the time when basically your dream <clears throat> came to an end like like you said uh playing football became an idol for you was there ever ever a time that you felt angry at god or affected you in any way of like bringing a lot of discontentment in your life because, I mean, that was your dream. Yeah, you know, I watched a lot of guys that I knew from the high school um, era play major college football, and then I watched them in the NFL, and while all of their careers lasted, I I did wonder what might have been. Hmm. But I think it was pretty formative. Um, my life was so busy with other things that, that were better, and I saw that. And I understood the providence of God. I completely trusted in the providence of God. Were there times when I wondered a lot what might have been and pined away for the game that I loved and that I had some skill at? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But it never caused me to question God's providence. It was more just kind of a, really, I'm going to be an accountant and not a star football player. Mm -hmm. Of course, it took me a while to understand I was never going to be a star football player. (laughs) (laughs) but were there um people discipling you through that process because you know i'm just thinking of i mean myself or anyone anyone else whose dream probably didn't come true and a lot of times we can fall into that self-pity and discontentment and comparing our lives to other people you know like oh look at them they're doing exactly what i wanted to do but i don't get to do it so uh what did you do to help you through that process? Yeah, I, the, the beginning of your question is really the key. That um, I understood from the time with Tim Jack 
taking me to McDonald's on Thursday morning to teach me to walk me through the book of First Corinthians, the importance of having older men in my life discipling me. And, mm-hmm. you know, Chris Mueller, and there was other men um, through um, my high school years and early college years that were so formative. But behind Tim Jack came Chris Mueller, and behind Chris Mueller came other men. And, and there's men in my life today who I follow as they follow Christ. And, mm-hmm. and the importance of that is it wasn't just a crisis of football. It was a crisis of understanding um, how to be a lay guy in the church. Mm-hmm. Because to some degree, I'd begun to dream of being a pastor, and and that was taken away. Mm-hmm. Now, I, in some sense, I took it away. But mm-hmm. the wisdom that was given to me by several men where I made the decision that I wasn't going to pursue full-time ministry, that was kind of hard, mm-hmm. uh, especially at Grace Church, where everybody does yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and to have older men, um, godly men, businessmen, one man in particular that was a senior executive in a publicly traded company, oil company, um, just, I mean, at several points in my career, he has been the go-to guy. And when I, when I say a go-to guy, I'm talking about a guy that I would have breakfast with on a regular basis. For some reason, he consented to do that. <laughs> and I remember he took me through the book, Disciplines of a Godly Man. Mm. And it came from a guy who wasn't some seminary trained and like me, trying to make his way in a secular career and helping me understand what that looks like in a church and in a family and balancing all of that. So the key is, it's 2 Timothy 2, too, the things you've learned and trust to faithful men who then in turn entrust it to others. I always felt like I was in that process. And so much so, the the guiding um uh, principle in my life as a layman in the church is to take the things that have been entrusted to me and to find faithful men and to entrust it to others. Mm-hmm. And I have a unique place to do that. And also, you know, just coming to an understanding that the the, the pastor is mm-hmm. the guy with all the influence. That's the guy you want to have the influence mm-hmm. and the voice, particularly if he's faithfully preaching the word and he's preaching Christ. Um, you know, I must decrease and that person must increase. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was discipled into me. That was taught to me. I, that wasn't caught. That, you know, um, most of what's caught by a young professional is a lot of pride, and mm-hmm. I had that. Um, but to get that kicked out of you by older men throughout my career, um, that's really the key to working through issues like, ah, am I going to play football? And then... Am I going to be an accountant or a pastor? Yeah. And then am I going to marry this girl mm. um, or, um, or never get married? Um, you know, the, the young lady that I was dating in, in my college years, I remember my dad coming out in the backyard one day saying, are you going to marry her? And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, you know, that was kind of my response, like, what? And, but my father was, he didn't say a lot, but he said uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, in what he said, and he made me realize I was defrauding this young lady. I saw this relationship as um, Saturday night, and I I wasn't defrauding her uh, morally or any other way, but I was keeping her from her life um, when I didn't have the intention of mm-hmm. of getting married. So that's the incredible benefit of had of having older, wiser men in my life, mm-hmm. and then. Um, later, you know, I've, I've told this story. I, I was part of the group of guys that had the BTR cards. 
um, Bachelor <laughs> Till the Rapture. And <laughs> Sorry, never heard of the movie. <laughs> I don't know if those still float around Grace Church. Um, there's certainly bachelors that seem like they're going to be bachelors till the rapture. But I had two older men in my life who were discipling me, who just basically uh, shook me out of um, this, uh, you know, woe is me. Um, I don't want to date. I don't want to um, um, get involved in any of that. And just said, it made me understand that you were created to be married and to have children, unless you have the gift of singleness. Um, and if you don't have the gift of singleness, you should be pursuing marriage. And just that huge gate to go through in life, um, there's a couple of older men who shoved me through that gate. And mm. I'm so grateful. Um, you know, the faithful are the wounds of a friend. And and one of those guys is the guy that said, there she is. She's right in front of you and pointed at Ann Marston. And it took a little while, but she was the one. Um, so grateful for the the impact of older men in my life um and that's the story of my life mm -hmm. I, I would be lost wandering around running into walls but for these faithful godly um christ-loving men who mm -hmm. for some reason decided i was worth their time and it's been amazing to see you now be the one also investing in other men's life i mean you and Anne are mentors and foundation and just to see the love that everyone has for you you know has for you guys and they like um being around you guys learning from you guys and especially the men too so that's i think i don't know now you're doing what the other guys did with you <laughs> yeah that's second timothy right? two two again i I, yeah. i feel like i can do no other mm. there's no way i can thank the men who have poured into me Um, there's just no way, including Pastor John and the other men that are in my life to this day. There's no mm -hmm. way I can ever um, thank them. The best way to thank them is to be obedient to Scripture, and Scripture mm -hmm. makes clear that when you've been given that, you have to turn around and yeah. pass it on. And that's how the church is built. That's how the church is strengthened, and, and it's a great joy. It is mm -hmm. a, uh, and, and a great honor. Mm -hmm. So now about that young lady that you met. So tell me, how do you meet her? How do you guys meet? This is where she might come on camera and, and uh, correct me if I get the details wrong. Um, She's listening, so you better get her right. I know. <laughs> She's right here. Yeah, she um, literally, uh, there was a college event. Um, this was probably in 1986, 1987, somewhere in there, where I was sitting with Chris Mueller. Um, I hope he doesn't mind me uh, using his name all this Uh, this many times. I don't think you're saying anything wrong about him. No, right? It's no. just great things. I think he would be very um, happy uh, <laughs> to remember the story. But he was still my, he was discipling me. And he's one of the two men that said, you need to get out of your malaise. And he pointed at Anne as there was a luncheon in the, what's now the family center or the mm -hmm. gym at Grace Community Church. He pointed at this, uh, this young lady and said, there she is. And I said, oh, who is that? <laughs> Uh, to some degree. And what happened then is over time, um, and I, there's great, a lot of details to this story, but it took I probably, want some details too of like, okay, yeah, I mean, how do you get to talk? How do you get to know each other? It's, do you happen to just go up to her when he says there she is? or Yeah, so the, in the college group back then, they used to have a banquet twice a year, I think it was. And the idea of the banquet was to help nerds like me Uh, have an opportunity to ask a young lady out and in the environment of at an event at Grace Community Church. And so these two men, 
uh, Chris Mueller and another man basically said, you need to uh, make the move. And so I committed to them that I would do that. And, and I also said, but if she says no for any reason, I'm going to take that as the voice of God. I guess it's kind of close to a fleece, but I, I just said, if for whatever reason she says no, I'm going to um, report back to you. I'm going to do exactly what you're telling me to do, but I'm, that's going to be clear direction from the Lord. And she said no. Um, another guy had called her before I got to her and asked her to the same banquet, and she said yes. She did say rain check. Uh, she did make it very clear in that conversation that she was interested in another opportunity. And so that was the, yeah, um, it went over my head. Um, I went back to these two men and said, God has spoken. It's not Ann Marston. And uh, so... Uh, over time, though, that was the basis to get to know Anne. We developed a friendship. Um, we were in ministry together in the college department. Back then, they had a volunteer staff, and we met on a regular basis. So there's a lot of opportunity to see Anne, to get to know Anne, to watch her um, in her love for Christ and her love for the church, mm-hmm. and it became compelling. Um, and I think it probably took a year uh, for that to develop, and then I called her for the next year's banquet, and that wasn't because two guys were telling me I had to. It was because I was interested. And mm. and this time she said yes. And um, and then I decided I can't really wait for the, the banquet. So um, I think it was Valentine's Day, 1987. We went on our first date um, and not to a banquet at Grace Community Church. And it, w- it went very quick. Mm. Um, I would say after several weeks, we kind of had had to have a what they call now the DTR, define the relationship. <laughs> Anne was going to be going on a uh, somewhat of a mission trip, if you will, uh, with uh, the college department. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty intent that if we're going to develop the relationship, I wanted her to go on that trip, but I didn't want her going looking back at me. So I just said, you know, I think maybe we push pause until you get back so that you can focus on what you're doing, and then we'll just pick this up when you get back. You know, the reality is neither of us really wanted to do that. So mm-hmm. uh, the decision was made, no, she was going to, we were going to pursue this relationship. She pulled out of the missions trip, and we were engaged by August, and then married the following March. How long were you guys dating? By the time we got married, about a year. A year? Yeah, we were, we'd been dating maybe six months when we got engaged. Okay. And uh, you guys have been married now for how many years? 35 wonderful years. 35. I still marvel that um, Anne consented to say yes. <laughs> and kids? How many kids? We have three daughters. Um, uh, our oldest is married, and, and she has five kids. Um, our middle daughter lives in Washington, D.C., and our youngest daughter is married and uh, married a seminary student, and they just uh, moved to Hawaii, Um to uh, be involved in her husband's a pastor in a church in Hawaii, and they have two kids. Mm-hmm. Trying to say that without getting choked up. I miss them. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun to see Anne's photos on Instagram with them, like just spending time with them, always spending time with them. Yeah, when I walk across the patio at Grace Church, very often I find out something's been posted on Instagram because people will come up and talk to me about my life. And I'm like, how do you know that? How do you know that? Because I'm not on social media. <laughs> no, but it's it's amazing to see that. It's really sweet to see those photos posted. It's a in great there. blessing. Yeah. So 30, 
Five years. Five years now. And so clearly you're still involved at Grace Community Church. Both of you are, you and Anne. Uh, Tell me, just share a lot, um, you know, more about what you're doing. What is, you know, what is your position at Grace? I mean, you're not in full-time ministry, but you are in ministry. Sure, seems like it's full-time sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so tell me more about that. Yeah, Yeah, so Anne and I on Sundays right now are involved with two-year-olds. And we started um, that in 2020 when Grace Church reopened after COVID. I think it was around 2020, maybe it was early 2021. But we jumped in because we felt really bad for the nursery workers that they Mm. were never getting to go to church. Um, Because we had this massive influx of people and we were only doing one service. And so we said, let's jump in. Um, And we loved it so much um, that... I always say a team of horses couldn't get us out of there now. Of course, you know, the nursery workers might get rid of us, but um, <laughs> it's just such a joy. And, and it's yeah. the sweet kids, but it's also we've gotten to know so many of the parents. And it's just a unique ministry there. And so that's what we do on Sundays in addition to going to church. Friday nights we're involved in foundation. Um, and then there's a, a Bible study or a community group that meets in our home out of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then fr- on Friday mornings at 6 a.m., um, I have a group of men that I meet with. Um, this group has been going on for, I think it's 19 years is what we have figured out. Oh, wow. Every Friday morning at 6 a.m. The only Friday morning we don't meet is um, the Friday morning after Thanksgiving because mm-hmm. where we meet is next to a shopping center that Black Friday makes it impossible um, <laughs> yeah, to get there. crazy. It's crazy. In fact, the one year we, yeah. years ago, we were meeting there when somebody was shot in, uh, uh, in Walmart mm. across the parking lot. And that's the year I decided, yeah, this isn't the Friday morning. To, yeah, I should. You can sleep in the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, but there's right now 15 to 20 guys uh, meeting with me every uh, Friday morning. Um, wow. It's a hearty group. We sit outside. Um, 6.30 in the morning. 6 a.m., wow. yeah. And sometimes it's yeah. really cold, or Southern California cold. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's people... Not East Coast. No. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, under the snow or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. and that's a great joy in my life, and there's just so many guys that have gone through that. It's not the same group for 19 years, yeah. obviously. Um, but we've split that group. We're almost to the point where I'm going to split it again. And there's probably six or seven groups that are meeting around Southern California that started in that Friday morning group. And then Mm -hmm. I send a guy out and say, take as many guys as you can take with you. And that's um, another involvement. And then I serve as an elder at Grace Church and -hmm. and all of the the ministry and the commitments that come with that. So Mm -hmm. I love Grace Church. I love the ministry. And when the kids all left the house, it freed me up a bit more to do more ministry. And my wife, you know, Anne, throughout our marriage has been... Uh, incredibly sacrificial in supporting um, and, and completely um, understanding and buying into the the vision of a lay guy being involved in ministry in the church mm. and helping me keep that balance between family and and um, work and ministry in the church, mm. but just never hindering ministry in the church. Mm. Um, really remarkable. Mm. And then for work, then you... Can you share also what you're doing for work then? Because you're mentioning that too. Yeah, I I went to accounting school. I did mention that. Mm -hmm. So I guess I should finish that story. (laughs) Um, I became an accountant, a certified public accountant. And for a lot of years, did the 
the classic, typical um, tax returns and financial statements. Uh, mm-hmm. In 1994, um, we established a firm with a bunch of partners. And um, for the most part, those are my same partners today. Although we've added one and we sold off one of our businesses. But through all of that, I'm still an accountant. Mm-hmm. I do forensic accounting. I got bored with tax returns and financial <laughs> statements. And by the providence of God, I got pulled into a... Um, uh, court case probably almost 30 years ago now and um was working with the fbi on a um on a fraud case it's a it's a great story but at the end of all of that work the fbi agent involved the head of the la office of the fbi tried to recruit me and i said no thanks and then he said you need to be doing this work and so he mentored me in a huge turn in my career from the classic tax returns and financial statements to what I do now, which is I'm involved in complex civil and criminal probate litigation as a financial expert. So I testify in court. or I'm either testifying in court or I'm preparing to testify in court. So mm. this kind of feels like a deposition. Um, that's my life. <laughs> I'm used to being asked questions and having to answer those questions. And so that's my life. That's, yeah. uh, it's, it's extremely taxing mentally. Um, it, it is a challenge. I love it. Um, I do um, a lot of teaching around the country. Uh, I was just in Salt Lake City last week, lectured 18 hours. And those lectures are very technical, um, high-level economics, finance, training other people to do um, what I do. And I love mm-hmm. it. Um, I love walking in front of a room of people, very intelligent, highly experienced, accomplished people, being challenged by that process. So mm-hmm. I do enjoy the teaching process. Mm-hmm. It is That process is nowhere near as intimidating as getting up in front of a circle of junior high boys and teaching them the Book of Romans. <laughs> um, there is a clear difference. Yeah. And... Um, but... So that's what I do in my career. And I, I manage the... the we have... Um, two companies. We have an asset management firm and we have the CPA firm. I'm president of both of those firms. And so I have partners and staff and um, all the things that are required in running a business. Yeah. But what a unique and very special opportunity, right? Because I feel like, especially for all of for us that we go to Grace Community Church, we are in this little bubble that it's just like around believers, you know, and especially for me now, like I work for Grace too, you know, and just the fact that you get to be around unbelievers and that special opportunity that you get, you know, I think it's, it's needed because sometimes we forget how the world need needs Christ mm-hmm. and, you know, and we can just get very comfortable where we are. Well, and it yeah. used to be very comfortable to be a Christian in a secular work environment. Mm. That is getting very, very challenging right yeah. now. In fact, during the challenges of 2020, you know, mm-hmm. I lost business mm-hmm. because of, um, what I believe and mm-hmm. the church I go to and the position that our church took. And I wasn't the only one. That's not a uh, woe is me, but mm-hmm. that is unheard of that that would have happened even five years ago mm-hmm. or 10 years ago. But it's where we are now. And it is a challenge. And it is such a blessing that you get to be in, you called it a bubble. It's a wonderful bubble to be in yeah. because it's it's a hard place to be outside that bubble sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah, but I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, we do have a very special and 
uh, amazing bubble. And I love just being part of Grace because it is sometimes, you know, even being among my unbeliever friends and sometimes I just forget like, oh my gosh, this is the mentality. This is what they think. This is what they believe. And I Mm -hmm. think 2020 was one of those years that we just got to see so much. And even till now, I mean, it's still going you know maybe not as bad as it was before but it's getting bad like schools and everything yeah we're never going back it's just gonna get worse you know Mm -hmm. but uh one of the reasons why i'm so excited about the essential church it's because we're gonna be able to tell the story that a lot of people don't know of not only what happened at grace but uh you know in so many other places other churches pastors and can you just share why do you think it is important for people to to watch this film yeah, well, I, I tell you that it has been quite an experience. I have no uh, experience in front of cameras, and so that was unique. Um, it was difficult too. I think I shared that with all of you. You know, pulling out all those old emails and and the hate mail and the mm-hmm. you know all all the stuff. I, on some level, it was difficult uh, personally to go back through and pull out all that stuff and reread it and get ready for those interviews and. Um, and I was glad when that process was was done. But on the other hand, it was there was such a sense of Grace Church needs to hear this story mm-hmm. because I think there's very few people, maybe four or five people, that know the whole story. Mm-hmm. And I think the story needs to be known by Grace Church, and the story needs to be told outside of Grace Church, not because Grace Church is terribly unique. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a bigger platform, and more people maybe watch what we do. But there are so many churches around this country and around the world who had to work through all these issues that we had to work through and make their decisions and trust the Lord um, and try and shepherd their people. And they probably did exactly what we did in some Mm -hmm. form or another. And I think it's going to be an opportunity for their story to be told through our story. Mm -hmm. And I pray it builds the church. Yeah. Uh, Grace Church and the, and the church around the United States and even around the world where it's going to be shown um, as we reflect not on man but on the head of the church Christ said in Matthew 16 I it's my church he says I will build my church mm-hmm. um, and the gates of hell will never prevail against it yeah. and there were times in 2020 when I wondered what was going to mm-hmm. happen to the church not just Grace Community Church and to hear the details and even the sense of humor that the Lord must have um, in protecting Grace Church, who he used to protect Grace Church, mm-hmm. um, and even to vindicate Grace yeah. Church, and and not just Grace Church, but the church. What would you say was like the hardest part of that season for you of 2020, being so highly involved in through, you know, I mean, in every, because you're like, uh, the uh, what is it? The chairman of the elder board, right? So, what was one of the most challenging part for you, hardest? Well, I think for Grace Church, like every other church, we had to manage a couple different constituencies, if you will. We had to navigate honoring government, um, honoring the king, um, obeying what we should obey, but knowing where that line went too far. So that was one thing we had to be concerned about. The other thing we had to be concerned about was the people of Grace Church. Um, and there's really two groups inside of Grace Church. The group that said we should have never shut down and you have abandoned all your principles and um, you've rejected the gospel and you know all, all the lovely things that people say <laughs> from that camp. And then you have the camp of, uh, on the other side, uh, the church has to stay closed. Romans 13 
um, became pretty big um, mm-hmm. in terms of obeying the government and um, you must not open the church until the government says. So you're you're managing all of that. You know, then you have staff and employees and, and and all of that at the church. Superseding all of that was, and this is the most difficult part, was understanding what would the Lord have us do. Hmm. We just wanted to obey. And when we initially closed down the church, it really was in deference to a governor and a mayor and a political structure that we had over the years endeavored to honor and mm-hmm. um, and teach the church to honor them. But superseding that is we need to obey the Lord. And when mm-hmm. the government started telling us things that we could no longer obey, that was the difficulty of we know what we need to do, do now. And, mm-hmm. um, and then in the midst of all of that was the whole social justice, the riots, uh, George Floyd and the anger within Grace Church mm-hmm. um, um, over that, and so from a practical standpoint, it was a time issue, a shepherding issue, trying to manage all of the people that wanted to talk, that needed to talk, somehow doing all of that, and then somehow kind of uh, keeping all of that out of the home, if you will. Yeah. I just didn't want to take. And in, in my family, uh, through all of that, and so trying to manage all of that um, while not letting it affect me at home. Yeah. So Definitely. that's kind of a hodgepodge answer. There, pretty much everything in 2020 was difficult. Yeah. I remember driving to the church the second weekend we were closed. And on Sunday mornings, John would be preaching, and there might be three or four other people in that sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And I remember driving to church um, one Sunday morning, and and just thinking to myself, going to church and being an elder at Grace Church was so easy for so long, and I think those days are done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still think that three years later, I think there's a scrutiny. There's a um, and I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm not mm-hmm. um, looking for sympathy in any way in saying that. But what was so easy for so long in this country is no longer a given, yeah. and. Um, it is the first sermon John preached in 2021. I still have it on my phone. I've listened to it probably 10 times <laughs> where he summarizes 2020. And mm-hmm. you might, you'll remember this. He said, the word that summarizes 2020 is clarity. Mm-hmm. And it, it was so clarifying. It was mm-hmm. so disappointing. The people that said, I'm leaving Grace Church. And mm-hmm. I would ask them and say, where are you going? Mm-hmm. Knowing that they, nowhere. Mm-hmm. because no nobody else was open. Mm-hmm. So people made a decision to leave, not Grace Church, but to leave the church yeah. over whatever all the issues were in 2020. And they were real. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that is, the clarity of that is the influx of people. We have a church now that is completely different than Grace Church was mm-hmm. three, four years ago. There's the same hunger well, everyone hungers to be taught the word, but the level of hunger right now is just off the charts. Yeah. People don't know how to do church. They think, um, you know, when somebody up front scratches their ear, they should clap. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever. They love to clap. Um, you know, and the old Grace Church, yeah. <gasps> we don't clap at church. Oh. <laughs> and 
you know what? It's, it, I love following John's lead on that. He understands all of that. He's been around all of that. He knows how to shepherd a people and don't start rebuking people for clapping. They'll figure it out and they're figuring it out. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of fun to be at Grace Church. Yeah. Well, I think I've said it before with other people that we had on the podcast of just how grateful we are for you and all the elders of our church and the leadership and guidance through the whole process. I mean, just the hours, you know, that you guys spend in trying to figure it out. What are we going to do? Shepherding those people Mm -hmm. who are having, you know, a hard time through that process. Yeah. I remember when we voted on that statement, Mm -hmm. the statement. Yeah. The statement. Yeah. Um, I remember as we went around and every man said, what they thought and um, the initial vote. I remember thinking some of these guys are going to pay a big price for this. Mm. And I couldn't remember um, another decision that we made where I had that sense. Mm. And some guys did. Um, But what a group of men. We have a remarkable group of men on the elder board. Um, I I live in their shadow. Um, Mm. Just amazing. Gifted. Um, immovable uh, in truth and yet very tender and loving the people of Grace Church. So we're blessed. Yeah, we are. We truly are. Now we're going to move on to our signature questions for the podcast. So any um, favorite books that you have other than the Bible? (laughs) Any books that have been helpful for you? Or I don't know. What comes to to mind when you think of those books? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I should have uh, had this ready. I knew you asked everybody (laughs) this. Um, (laughs) I, I, initi- I immediately think of Thomas Watson mm. and, and Spurgeon. I love the way they write. Thomas Watson um, uh, wrote a book, Body of Divinity, mm. and it's about seven, 800 pages, and it's a Q&A. Oh. And it's written in the 1600s, and it goes through, it's like a systematic theology in a Q&A format. And he goes through uh, the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer, and then the, all the basic doctrines. Very formative for me. I love... I'll, I'll pull it off the shelf as a um, last-minute review if I'm teaching something to see what Thomas Watson says. Mm-hmm. I love Treasury of Scripture knowledge. There's an app now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess that's one of my favorites because I, I'm preparing to teach all the time um, for somebody somewhere. And part of that study is I figured out a long time ago my pastor uses that, mm-hmm. which he has confirmed. And... That book, it was, it's old. It's really old. But it makes the connection throughout Scripture of passages that you wouldn't, nor, it, you wouldn't get there really quickly. So it's so mm. helpful. I love history. And um, so I love, I don't know book names, but I know authors. I, I think of Jeff Shara, um, William Manchester, James Scott, same name as my nephew. <laughs> um, these are people that, uh, uh, McCullough. I just love history and biographies, so much so that when I um, met a young lady named Ann Marston, I had a commitment that I would never read fiction. Why read fiction? And she convinced me that that was kind of a narrow view of the world. And some of the best history I've read is historical fiction, mm. like Jeff Shara, where he he wrote um, really well-known books about the Civil War. And, and so he used real events, real characters, but fictionalized the... Um, uh, the dialogue. So that kind of thing. I love those kinds of books. Mm. Um, and you know, I read a lot, probably the 
most influential book when I was a young man. It was a book by J. Oswald Sanders called Spiritual Leadership. I still have it. I've handed out hundreds of copies. But I have my original. And what I loved about that book is it was short. It was clear. And it laid out what um, male biblical leadership looked like. Mm. And there's places in that book. I think I was in high school when I read it the first time. Um, not to be disrespectful, but and it wasn't meant disrespectful, but I would write in the margins, J-Mac. And I go back and I look at that now, and what a heritage. that I was reading this book as a high schooler saying, that's what my pastor looks like. This is describing my pastor. Wow. Um, or he's the example in, in this particular area. And I open it now and I look at it, and it's the same thing. Mm. He's still that guy. Mm. Um, and so I, that's an influential book. But and this just speaks to the um, the truth of Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember those who led you, who spoke the mm-hmm. word of God to you, and considering their conduct, um, imitate their faith. The re- mm-hmm. So that powerful combination of he speaks the word of God and he lives it. Mm-hmm. That's what makes that book so made that book so influential and is such a uh, um, memorable book now and it's such a call to what my responsibility is Mm -hmm. in turn absolutely all right so three things that bring you joy uh the first thing i would have to say is christ Mm -hmm. jesus christ i marvel that as we've talked about that he would save me Mm -hmm. i um i don't understand it but boy am i glad and Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up under a man who every sermon ultimately is preaching about Christ. He built that in, that love for Christ in my heart and the joy of knowing Christ and the joy of knowing that someday um, I get to spend eternity with him. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, can I read a passage? Of course. I think yeah. um, I'm thinking of 1 Peter 1, mm-hmm. um, where it, it makes the connection between knowing Christ and the, and the joy of life. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance. I've obtained an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, unfading, having been kept in heaven for me. Mm. I'm protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this I greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, I have been grieved by various trials, so that the proof of my faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and the honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory." I think that's the joy of my life, mm-hmm. and it probably is for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is the church. I love the church. I love the people of the church. Um, Anna and I, all the time driving home from church, say, I just can't believe we get to go to this church. I love this church. Um, mm-hmm. She'll say it or I'll say it. We love the people. We love the fellowship. I think 2020 made it a visceral understanding for us, probably for a lot of people, that life without the church is empty. Yeah. Um, and what a blessing in a dark world, um, in a crazy world, in a foolish, silly world to come together with like-minded believers on a Friday night or, um, on a Sunday and just enjoy that fellowship together, sitting under the preaching of the word. 
the other great joy of my life is my family. Um, mm-hmm. I said this already. I'm so grateful for Anne. I'm so grateful for her love for me. She's a picture of the gospel to me. She could have chosen um, a lot better men, <laughs> but she chose me. Mm-hmm. And I marvel at that as much as I marvel that, that Christ chose me. Because mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't have chosen me. Um, I don't know why Anne chose me. I always ask her, are you sure? Um, and then the three daughters that he gave us, just blessing on top of blessing. We're so grateful for them. They are the joy of our life. You know, we had a house with no boys, and two of them have gotten married, and I just love my sons-in-law. They are incredible men. Um, Mm -hmm. I just admire them, each of them so much. Um, And then the seven grandchildren and, and whoever else the Lord may bring. You know, we spent several hours today with five of our grandchildren, and our hearts are just full all the time that we get to have that relationship, get to have that influence with them, um, talk to them about life and about Christ and about the Word of God. Deuteronomy 6 Mm. extends that obligation to grandchildren. So it's a great joy of our life. What a blessing. It is a blessing. And what a blessing, what you mentioned about Christ, you know, Christ being your greatest joy. And for those who, you know, might listen and they are like, why are you guys talking about this Jesus so much? Like, why do you, why Jesus all the time? So why is it that we all, all of us need Jesus Christ? Well, I, I think of Ezekiel 11, where that great passage of um, God's redeeming love that he does surgery on us, that mm-hmm. he takes the heart of stone and replace, replaces it with a heart of flesh. And that's just such a picture of without Christ, we have a stone heart. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. And he does the surgery. Mm -hmm. He picks who he's doing it on, and he does it. Mm -hmm. And he did it for you and for me. Um, And that's the story of the gospel. And you can get hung up on that saying, if the Lord does it. But the amazing thing is Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead you'll be saved. And it goes on to say, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will not be disappointed. Mm -hmm. The gospel is so simple. It's so clear. Um, And just to go back to this passage, I read 1 Peter 1. You go to the next chapter, uh, which is why it's on my mind. Christ takes a disparate, lost, dead people. He makes them alive. And then First uh, Peter two nine says that we're a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that we would proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Mm-hmm. That's the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of Isaiah fifty nine. It's an amazing chapter, talking about people running into walls. They're blind. They're in the dark, and they have no idea they're in the dark. Mm-hmm. And at the end of chapter fifty nine, and then and then in the beginning of Isaiah sixty, there is a great light coming. Mm-hmm. And who is that? Well, when Christ came to Earth, He says, "I am the light of the world." What a remarkable story. I'm grateful for that story. I'm grateful for Christ that he is the light and that he opened our hearts. Um, and he did take us out of the depth of darkness into his marvelous light. And it is marvelous. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to eternity. I'm sure you do too. Oh, I do too. Where I won't have to deal with sin anymore and sin against the Lord ever. And 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and even in, in life, the other part of the gospel is, I think of Romans 8.1, there mm-hmm. is now no condemnation for mm-hmm. those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, yeah. um, because I sin. I'm not who I will be, and I'm not who I want to be. And, and coming off of First Corinthians, or, or Romans 7, excuse me, that whole passage about life on this earth, Romans 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, Chris, thank you so, so much for taking this time to join me on the podcast. It truly has been a joy just even learning more things about him that I didn't know. (laughs) You know, you see, you go to church with people and you don't get the whole story, you know, just when we see each other at church. So this has been really sweet and I'm excited for dinner now. The fellowship continues. Yes, it does. Uh, But friends, thank you so much for listening or watching. And again, all the information that we have shared on on the podcast, you can find everything here on the description but before we go chris will you mind just closing us in prayer i would love to thank you lord again for our Lannis and for this podcast lord thank you for such a great salvation that we celebrate here today thank you for the clarity of your gospel i pray that what uh, we've talked about today would encourage it would challenge and lord if there are those who listen to this podcast who don't know you we pray that you would touch their hearts, that you would replace their heart of stone with a heart of flesh, that you would save them. Lord, thank you for the hope we have in the gospel, for the joy we have on this earth in Christ, and the the, uh, hope we have of glorification in the future as we spend eternity with you. In Christ's name, amen.